Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we seek to take our listeners on a journey through history, highlighting information which is most crucial for changing our world, one episode at a time. Welcome to the latest episode of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host, Masayahu Israel, and it's a pleasure to be back with you again. I'm sorry about the wait for the latest installment of the show. But due to COVID-19, a lot of interviews and shows that were in the making had to be pushed back due to scheduling. You know, a lot of people think that if you're in education, as I am, I'm in K-12 and and some of my colleagues are in higher ed, we feel just as busy or even more busy now than when we were going to the office uh, every day. You know, it seems like we're working longer hours. There's more to accomplish and get done. And uh, it has really been something. So a lot of uh, events have been called off. A lot of uh, a lot of professional development opportunities have been stalled due to the problem with uh, COVID-19. But we look forward to seeing the end of this situation. And hopefully at that time, we can reflect uh, as a podcast and maybe talk about some of the impacts of COVID-19 historically on education and the way we can reflect on it to prepare ourselves for future situations. But this week's podcast is going to be on the Black Gods. Now, I know you say to yourself, possibly, the Black Gods, what do you mean? Well, there was a man named Arthur H. Fawcett, who in 1944 wrote a book called Black Gods of the Metropolis. He did another update of the book in 1971, and there was a final version of it done around 2002. I read this book in undergraduate school as I was doing research on black religious systems uh, at the turn of the 20th century. And I have been studying African-American religious organizations since that time period. And it's an, it's an area of emphasis for me. I think I have a level of specialty there and it has been a lifelong journey of mine as well. Now, Arthur Fawcett uh, talked about a lot of religious groups, those that came out of the Christian strain. He talks about the black Jews. He talks about the black Muslims and a lot of organizations that many of you have probably never heard of. I would suggest that you get your hands on that book. You can still get copies of it. I would get all three editions because each one's going to have a little bit more. The one from 1971 is the one that really spoke to me the most, but the one from 1944 is really eye-opening as well. Now, there was another book that was somewhat of a counterpart to this book that was done by an author by the name of Prince A. Kuba. And in the 1990s, he produced a um, uh, a series of writings that were published called Black Gods of the Inner City. Now, I don't know whether this was actually ever put out as a book, uh, but I do know that it was published and it was written in the form of an article when I read it. And it was it was very, very good and gave a lot of insight again to some of these niche groups that many wouldn't know about. Now, in, in my life, I have been, um, you know, engaged in the study of black religion since childhood. 
Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a household and in a family where there were many different religions that were practiced. Um, there was black Pentecostalism, uh, black baptism. Uh, there was Rastafarianism, uh, black Muslims, five percenters, black Jews. Uh, and so I grew up around a plethora of, of black, you know, religious systems in my youth. Uh, a lot of my friends were members of black religions. I uh, grew up with friends who were part of the Moorish Science Temple of America, the Moors. And I myself was involved for quite a while as a young man, a kid actually, maybe 11, 12 years old, with the 5% nation of Islam because of relatives that I had that were members of the organization. And they really, you know, preached a lot of that to me. Now, my, you know, personal uh, religious uh, experiences and practices now are far removed from that. So I have, you know, little to do with that today in everyday life as a practitioner. But I was definitely around many of these religious groups as a young man and learned a whole lot. So I went to the Nation of Islam's Muhammad Temple. I also went to uh, the Moore Science Temple of America, the Holy Moore's Temple of Science, attended parliaments for the 5% nation, known today as the nation of gods and earth, etc. Uh, attended various churches, sacred name groups, black Hebrew organizations, black Jewish organizations, etc. So I've really had a love. I mean, black Catholic churches, right? The Imani Temple that was here. There was so much going on in in the city of Richmond, Virginia. My father was involved with black fraternities, masonry, and the shrine, Prince Hall. So growing up in that kind of environment, it was like a powder keg of ideas that was inevitably going to explode to produce a historian, you know, and someone who would be definitely involved in studying the origins and power of black religion. And so, you know, I'm I'm doing sessions now, professional development sessions in which I'm training teachers in little known areas of history, especially as it pertains to African American studies. There's so much we don't know. There is so much that the average person is not exposed to when it comes to black religion. And because black people in America are an extremely religious people, there is a rich religious tradition that's in the undercurrent of African-American life. All right. And not just Christian. I want you to understand that most people have no idea that people like Marvin Gaye, uh, came out of a uh, black Hebrew Christian organization. I visited that congregation that his father was a, a, a preacher in. There's so much that is, is going on in religion and in the black community, such a rich and powerful history. So where do we begin? I think the first thing is to talk about some of these groups specifically. I'm going to do some general overview today, and then we'll delve into the history a little bit more as we move forward. So 
I think that most people in my age bracket, those who are between the years of 40 and 50, right? They will tell you if they grew up in the black community that the autobiography of Malcolm X was an influence in their lives, that it opened their eyes to a world that they were not very familiar with. Some people will tell you about the movie Roots, right? And the impact that Roots had on them when they saw that as as young people. You say, what's the connection between Malcolm X and Roots? Well, remember that the same one, right, Alex Haley, who produced Roots was also the biographer for El Haj Malik El Shabazz or Malcolm X. And so there is a connection and a correlation. And there is some allusion to the religion of Islam, even in the movie Roots, right? Showing that some African people had a history of practicing a religion other than Christianity before they arrived via the transatlantic slave trade. Now, for me, Malcolm X's book, The the Autobiography, it didn't have as much of an impact on me at an earlier age. It really impacted me more a little bit later. What really started me on the journey of studying black religion was being introduced to the 5% nation of Islam when I was probably around 11 or 12 years old by one of my cousins who went by the name True Asiatic Ruler. And so he would tell me about how he was learning that, you know, the black man was God and that there was no mystery God. There was no spook. There was nothing floating around and ebbing in the universe, but that man himself is God and and that we had to do for self and not wait for what he called a mystery God to come and save us. And I remember hearing that as an 11 year old kid and saying, you know, hitting them with the what you talking about Willis, you know what I mean? Because that was just something that I had never really heard or understood, should I say. And then I think in 1986, Rakim, uh, one of the rappers, I would think he's one of the greatest of all times, in the hip-hop movement, he came out with an album. It was called Paid in Full. And I remember being in middle school, and I remember listening to him talk about, he he said something in a lyric, I I, I rock from party to party and backyard to yard. I tear it up, y'all, and bless the mic for the gods. And, you know, I had learned about the gods of Egypt and the gods of Greece and all of that. I didn't know what he was talking about until I reflected on what I kept hearing my cousin talk about, the gods, the black gods, the black gods. And I said, oh, this must be what he's in reference to. So I began to study this form of Islam and uh, listening to what my cousin was, was, was telling me more about. And I became a little bit more and more engaged in it as I got a little bit older. And I realized that all of my favorite rappers were members of the 5% Nation. Big Daddy Kane, 
who was known as King Asiatic, Rakim Allah from Eric B. and Rakim, Wise Intelligent Culture Freedom Father Shahid from the Poor Righteous Teachers Group. And as I got older, groups like Brand Nubian and others, everybody that I knew was a part of the 5% Nation. Just Ice, one of the old school rappers that was with KRS-One. Now, if you don't know these names, right, then maybe we'll have to do a show also on hip-hop so that you can get your history of hip-hop music, you know, down pat in order to be able to to understand. Because there is a clear connection between the religion of Islam and hip-hop music of the 80s and 90s without any question. Now, these five percenters, you might ask, what is that? Well, the five percent nation was started by a man whose name was Clarence Smith, right? And Clarence Smith was born right here in Virginia. He was born in Danville, Virginia, and uh, was the son of Lewis and Mary Smith, and they had seven children, okay? Now, you can imagine growing up in the South, in Virginia, in a rural area like Danville, what that must have been like and what kind of things Clarence Smith would have been seeing and experiencing as a young man growing up in this, in this area. Well, history has it that he leaves from Danville and makes his way to New York City. And you can do some research on studying the particulars, but I'm just doing an overview until we, we actually start studying each group specifically in the coming weeks. But what happens is once he gets to New York City, the woman with whom he has a relationship actually becomes a follower of Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam. So you will see here that there's going to be a connection between the 5% nation, what's called today the nation of gods and earths. When I was coming up, it was called the 5% nation of Islam. You're going to see the connection between this organization and the nation of Islam. Now you may say, what then is the nation of Islam? Because that's going to be extremely important. Now, the Nation of Islam was actually started by a, a man named Fard Muhammad. And Fard Muhammad was said to have been born in the late 1800s. And it's debated on where he came from initially. But the Nation of Islam states that he was born in the city of Mecca. Okay. Now, there's been a lot of, you know, arguments about specific birth dates and all of that. I have seen so many different things. But 1877, February 26th, is the date that I know for Farad Muhammad, okay? Wali Farad Muhammad. Now, he starts what's called the Temple of Islam in Detroit. Later, it grows in Chicago, but he's only here for about three years and a half, possibly. And then he disappears and he leaves the reins to Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad changes the group's name from the Temple of Islam to the Nation of Islam. And uh, Fard is elevated from teacher, founder, even prophet to the position of God in the teachings of Elijah Muhammad. Now, 
you will say, well, wait a minute, who is Elijah Muhammad, right? The story continues to go back more and more. Now, Elijah Muhammad was a man who was born Elijah Robert Poole in 1897, and he was born in the South. I think uh, it was said Sandersville, Georgia, and his uh, parents, I think his father was a preacher. And remember, Garveyism was very popular at the time. And so Elijah Muhammad, you know, has a life story that comes into the mix of these things as well. So I've given you a couple of things. I've talked about Farad, I've talked about Elijah, then I've talked about Clarence Smith. And there's a lot involved in each one of those stories. And that's why I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of each individual person and their organizations today. I just want to throw some names out and some some organizations that will sort of get you sort of salivating to learn more, okay? But the thing that all three of these gentlemen have in common is something called the Nation of Islam. One is a predecessor, right? And then one is a is an early founder in a sense, and then there is an offspring. So anyway, as a as a young man, I heard a lot about the 5% Nation of Islam and Clarence 13X, who was referred to by his followers as the Father Allah. Now, there's so much here. I can't unpack it all in the time that we have together, but I just want to put some names out here so that when we come back for our next episode in two weeks, you, you know, can say, okay, I've heard that before. I'm following along. But remember that you have first Farad Muhammad, who comes first, lays this foundation after him, Elijah Muhammad, and then after him, uh, Clarence Smith, known as Clarence 13X, the father of Allah. The key here is that they were all teaching a form of black Islam. Now, when I say black Islam, what do I mean black Islam? I'm talking about a form of Islam that is beyond the normal Sunni or Shia brand of Islam, an untraditional, unorthodox form of Islam, something that they themselves would say was tailored specifically for black people in North America. And this is extremely intriguing. So this black Islam is at the center of much of African-American history that is not rooted in the church. So when you start talking about these eccentric uh, beliefs, these black organizations that are somewhat secretive but yet powerful, there can never be a discussion of religion, black religion, and race in the African-American community without talking about the Nation of Islam. Now, many of you may have heard its current leader today in its latest form, Louis Farrakhan, who is the leader of the Nation of Islam today, all right? But there's a lot of history in between Farad Muhammad and Farrakhan that we know today. So back to my story as a young man, I kept hearing about the lost tribe of Shabazz, your original system that you were to follow is Islam. Islam is your original culture. Some called it our original religion or actually, you know, our nature. 
And so this is something that was promulgated heavily in the black community. Many of us can remember members of the Nation of Islam standing uh, at the stoplights and handing out newspapers, right? And those kinds of things. We've all heard about the bean pies and the newspapers, but all of that has its root in this organization, the Nation of Islam. Now, there are many other black organizations and black religions so many that we probably could do another several hundred episodes talking about about each individual one. But I wanted to add another name to the list. I want you to remember the name Noble Juali. I want you to remember his name as well, because he also came and preached a form of black Islam. Noble Juali uh, was actually born in 1886 in North Carolina born as Timothy Drew, later known as Noble Drew Ali. Now, he came before Fard Muhammad. And so it's it's only right that we also put him into the mix of this form of black Islam. Now, there were people who came to teach the religion of Islam to African-Americans. You had Dus Muhammad Ali and others uh, before the Nation of Islam. But it was Noble Drali and the Moore Science Temple of America and Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam that really made the impact on the practice of Islam amongst African-Americans that still reverberates today. Now, how is Noble Drali linked into all of this? Well, it's said by some and the history here as we go back further is a little bit more cloudy. But it's said by many that Noble Juali actually started, well, he starts in Newark, New Jersey, the Canaanite Temple, and then he opens up the Moore Science Temple of America. It is believed that his organization gave birth to the Nation of Islam. Many have said that Elijah Muhammad was actually a member of the Moore Science Temple. Others have said that Elijah Muhammad was a follower of Garvey. Elijah Muhammad expressed himself that both of those men influenced him in some way, not necessarily in his religious beliefs, but just as black men who were doing great works amongst black people and attempting to wake them up and to get them to realize that they weren't to just be the lowest downtrodden parts of society, but they actually had a great and powerful history that they needed to be proud of. Now, Garvey comes before all of them. But Marcus Garvey, Marcus Mosiah Garvey, was not a religious leader. Marcus Mosiah Garvey was a political leader, if you will, a social leader. And there was some religious overtone to his movement, the Universal Negro Improvement Association. But he was not here to preach religion. He was here to preach uh, the knowledge of, of black nationalism and getting black people to recognize that it was time for them to let go of trying to be a part of American society and prepare themselves for a mass movement back to Africa, first in mind and then in body. So now there are decades and decades which span between Marcus Garvey and then the man that we mentioned as Clarence 13X. Garvey's here in the early 1900s. Clarence 13X is, is in the 1960s doing what he's doing. But the link between all of it is that each and every one of them 
had a view of black Islam or black religion. Garvey actually had songs that were written praising Allah. And quite ironically, one of his original choir masters for the Universal Negro Improvement Association was a black rabbi by the name of Arnold Josiah Ford. So I have really opened up a can of worms of information, right, of people that we will be talking about little by little over the next few weeks. But I I wanted to give you some of these names and introduce you to some of this because as a young man, this is what I was introduced to, okay? As a young man, um, these are the names that I was hearing. These are the people that I was listening to or reading transcripts of speeches or lessons that they had given. And it impacted my life in such a powerful way, more than just in a religious way as far as religious systems and and God worship, but more so in an understanding of what it meant to be black, what it meant to be in America as a person of color and to be under oppression. They really gave some ideas to those who were listening to them about what we should be doing and how we should be examining ourselves. The do for self movement that came out of Elijah Muhammad's Nation of Islam was not unique to him or his teaching, nor was it unique to the five percenters who came afterwards. But Garvey from the very beginning was saying, up you mighty race, you can accomplish what you will, that there was no time for you sitting around and waiting for someone else to do for you what you could do for yourself. The creation of the Black Man newspaper and the UNIA publications and the purchase of the Black Star Line, Garvey was showing us from the earliest time what it meant to be black and what it was that this black God that he conceptualized desired of us. You know, this black God wasn't looking for us to grovel, wasn't looking for us to beg to be a part of the larger white society, but this black God of Garvey was pushing us towards understanding our own heritage, our own culture, and our own relationship to this God in our own ways. And this message began to linger and find itself into Noble Drali's uh, uh, More Science Temple of America, Noble Drali actually says that Garvey was a predecessor or a, a forerunner or prophet for his movement. Elijah Muhammad gives credit to Noble Drali for being a predecessor of his movement. And then, of course, Clarence 13X. Uh, without doubt, lets it be known that the Nation of Islam under Elijah Muhammad uh, was a predecessor to his movement. So all of these groups are connected and they have all influenced hip-hop music, which means it has influenced black culture and the culture of people of color. Hip-hop is tied directly to the culture of black America. And it was these men who helped to fashion the ideas of hip-hop. Today, you have people like, you know, and and these would probably be seen as old-school rappers now to this current generation with with the Gen Zers. (laughs) Uh, But I will say this, Yasin Bey, known as Most Deaf, uh, in the 90s, you know, he was very well known. Well, he has some identifications with the Morris Science Temple of America. Some of the groups that I named earlier have connections to the Nation of Islam and to the 5% Nation. Even in recent times, there is a rapper called 21 Savage 
who attended a party and had on a jacket that was very controversial that had the symbol for the 5% nation of Islam on the back of it. So hip hop has been influenced greatly by these black religious leaders or what we would call the black gods. So as we get into our next episode of the Leading by History podcast, we want to start talking about these individuals. We want to talk about their origins and we want to talk a little bit about their impact on society. And so today's episode was just to wet your palate, to get you prepared for some of the things that we want to discuss. So this is episode one, part one of the Black Gods And we want you to stay tuned in because I can't wait to start talking about some of these organizations and my experiences with them as a child and as a young man and even today to show the impact that they have had on American society, even unbeknownst to some. Okay, so we thank you so much. You stay safe. Make sure that you follow the laws and protocols of your locale and state. Keep yourself and your family safe. And know that Leading by History is right there with you. Continue to tune in and support the programming. We thank you so much. And until our next episode, we say to you, peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Leading by History podcast. We look forward to getting back with you again. Until then, keep a leveled head and always investigate the sources. Peace.